Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I tried it once before, but I didn't get too far. I felt a lot of pain, but it didn't stop my heart. And all I really wanted was someone to give a little fuck. But I waited there forever and nobody even looked up. Now I can smoke my Jewel and nobody's going to judge me. So my housemate works for Jewel. Really? I used to smoke cigarettes for years and then I switched to this and it changed my life. How long have you been off the fags? Six months. Okay. Maybe longer. And that's without anything at all? Not like a single drag? I have like, yeah, I'll I'll drink a little bit and have, but I get to choose now. I'm like, I feel like having a cigarette tonight and I'll have it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I, now I just I smoke this all the time, and I don't need a cigarette. I sing better. I'm not congested all the time. I get so much better. And then I heard all that stuff in the news, and I was like digging around to see if it was true. And nobody had any information on like the regular standard jewel pods. It was all like, oh, people were getting sick on these, you know, all this other kind of stuff. But um, jewel is still getting dragged through the mud. Yes, regardless. And um, but I I am a supporter of this. I don't think it's you know I don't know what's good and what's not, but I know how my body feels, and I'm just gauging by that. Uh, this is a good product. Well, especially if you know you're using your voice for a you know a professional instrument, yeah, and you can tell right away the effects, right? You can see that yeah. smoking that is way better. Yeah, for I have a way more consistent voice. I don't like huff and puff when I'm going upstairs. <laughs> like I just feel like I'm in better shape with this. And I, you know, it's best to not smoke anything. It is, of course. Of course, but uh, if you're going to, at least if you're making the transition from cigarettes, I, I don't know, I support this. Until like conclusive evidence comes out that says it's terrible for you, then then we can have a different conversation. But I don't I don't buy the hype. 
There we go. A little shout out to Jewel at the start. Shout of the podcast. out to Jewel. I'm not even sure of the legal implications of this, whether we're allowed to or not, but we just have. Yeah, so, uh, shout out to Jewel. <laughs> if you want to give us a sponsorship, we'll take it. Another shout out to them. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. You're from LA, right? Yes. Um, LA for me is a very unique place. Everywhere is you know unique, um, but I think growing up there, if you want to get into movies or music, the industry's right on your back door. True. Uh, how old were you when you realized music was where you wanted to go? Uh, very young. Very young. Yeah, I used I, I love movies, and I grew up watching movies, and I used to listen to the scores, and the, the movie scores was like what drew me to music in the first place. I was a piano player, and so I'd watch a movie when I was really, really young, and then jump on the piano as soon as the movie was over and learn the score, like figure it out. And, uh, and that's what I wanted to do for most of my life. I somehow fell into this rock and roll thing, <laughs> and that became the thing that worked. But Failing like, upwards, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you asked me, you know, however many years ago, what do you want to do? I want to, I want to write music for movies. That's, what I want. that's still what I want to do. I think when, I don't know, when I'm like 38, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not quite as like youthful and attractive and I'm a little more tired. I think I'll stop. I'll stop Retire to the studio and yeah, just become yeah, a mad just scientist exactly in the right. lab. I would love to do that or like write pop hits for the Rihanna's and the, you know, like the pop stars of the world. But what I really want to do is write music for movies. I just think that the marriage of like story and music is such a cool, special thing, which is why I like make, make music videos so much. It's yeah, like yeah, I get yeah. to make that the thing that I love so much about music and that marriage between music and story. I get to do in these like mini versions by making music videos for the band. I heard an interview with Tarantino once and he said the the most cinematic thing you can do is combine the right score or the right music with the right scene. Yeah. And that, for him, is the essence of cinema, which elevates it to a plane above, say, theatre or literature. Yes. Because you're combining multimedia. Yes. And creating and emotion. a fully immersive experience that is so powerful. Yeah, totally. I agree. Who was the composers then, or the, what were the scores that ignited that fire in you when you went, wow, I want to recreate the, the that one, right now? The one that did it was James Horner on A Beautiful Mind. Wow, okay. Russell Crowe. It's like, yeah. Great fucking movie. That that score with that movie changed everything for me. And it's one of the most intricate and complex scores. I still can't like I still have trouble wrapping my head around it. And I've watched interviews with James Horner and um he talked about how he did it. He he composed the score and came up with the whole concept of it in a very mathematical way, which is which suits the movie. If you've seen the movie, of it's course, like it's, it's all a, about it's a math equations. Movie. Yeah. Um, and and when you hear it and you sort of start to study what he did, that's exactly what's happening. And it's but it's not like stark and linear and mathematical. It's so ah, it's hard to describe, but it's what it's conflicted some, almost it's, and emotional. It's like a, a storm in a teacup kind of yes, thing going on. Exactly right. And it's just one of the most beautiful pieces, like every single bit, every single score from like piece of score from that movie is just is stunning and it's i've stolen his melodies a million times on songs that i've worked on i'm like man i know like just this little chord change from here to here that's a james horner thing like i know in my band i've done that um so i'm, I'm very inspired by that and 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 baffled by it. i don't think i am good like i don't think i'm james horner good so I think it's going to take me some time to work up to that. Maybe that's why I'm doing the rock and roll thing now, because it's like simple four chords. Like, well, it's like your, rock, your you academy, know? you know, you're getting all the songwriting done and yeah. you're working through it, getting out your system, getting better each time. Sure. And then one day you'll get to Trent Reznor level. Yeah, You give exactly. David Fincher a call. Yeah, I think that is, that's What do you probably, think about his transition and the that's work exactly, that he's done? That's exactly what I want for myself. Um, yeah, I, Trent Reznor's career is perfect. I would love that. 
I would I would make a couple changes, but that's like yeah, that's it. Would you get into producing other bands? Would you be interested? Yeah, in and I've done that too. I, I do that, that now. Okay. I, I I just don't have time. I'm always on tour, and if I'm not on tour, I'm working on something for my band. But yeah, I do that now, and I love doing it. Um, I don't like I don't like collaborating on songwriting, though. I like um, if if I'm gonna produce somebody, if I'm gonna work on something, I want this the songs to be there. I want the songs to be great, and then I will come in and help make it better if I can. In some cases, like people have asked me to work with them, and I'm like. I think you're really good without me. I don't want to come in there and change what you do because what you I'm already a fan of what you do. Um, so I've turned down, I've actually turned down collaborations with artists that I really like just because I'm like, I'd rather be a fan. I don't want to, I don't want to touch this because it's so good without me. Is that hard? What do you mean? Is that hard Turning to say no because no, you are No, it's a fan? easy because I get, I get nervous at the thought of it. It's not, it's not, a lot of people romanticize the idea of a collaboration, like two artists that they, I say this, by the way, I have a collaboration coming up that I'm going to do after this tour with an artist. I'm not going to talk about it now, but it okay. is something that's coming a teaser, up a teaser. that I am excited about, an artist that I love, which I am willing to do. Um, but for the most part, yeah, people romanticize the idea of a collaboration. They're like, well, if you get this person and this person, you put them in a room together, all of their great ideas are going to combine into this amazing idea. Megatron. Mostly the case is it's everybody's worst idea that they're willing to settle on becomes the song. And yeah. so you get these, that's why pop songs for the most part, at least these days are very like safe mm -hmm. is because you don't get everybody's best, most creative, most like mind blowing idea. You get what everybody is willing to settle on because some guy in the room is like, I want to do this crazy thing. And everybody else is like, eh. So everybody just like drops to this like plane of mediocrity. Me mediocrity yeah. yeah. It's like, what are we doing? Let's, I, I, I think songwriting is, I think songwriting is best done by the individual. That's what I think, uh, which is why I do a lot of our songwriting just by myself. On a piano or on a guitar? Whatever. Or a bit of both? Sometimes nothing. Just in your head yeah, singing melodies? Yeah, just in my head, yeah. And then I get on my iPhone notes and I'll just, and, you know, I'll sing little melodies into the thing and then I'll write down the lyrics and, yeah. What a godsend they are to the modern day songwriter, right? Yeah. I, before you get an idea and then you're like, shit, where's I, need, my notepad? I need to document this. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing here and then it's gone, right? Because I think the... The challenge, perhaps, or maybe challenge is the wrong word, but the skill in songwriting is capturing and bottling magic, isn't it? Because it kind of comes to you from nowhere. It must do. Yeah. Like, it's unexplainable. Yes, it's changed. The idea of inspiration, it's for channeled. me, is, is ethereal and, and what, what it really untouchable. Is, and what it really is is just recycled uh, information. That's what it actually is. I mean, you, I, I, I think, at least, this is something that has been debated that I've read up on a little bit of where where creativity comes from like where new ideas come from and most things if not everything is just recycled from something that already exists and so when it comes to melodies and lyrics it's just everything that you've picked up on and i think your ability as a songwriter um comes down to how well you're able to retain information from all of these different aspects of your life and things that you've seen and and touched and experienced and how you can you can manipulate that into some form of art that is original that's what that's what it is. That's what songwriting is. That's what creation is, um, and weeding out the bad ideas. Let me ask you this: You mentioned a moment ago about how a lot of pop music is quite safe. For me, a lot of rock music is also quite safe. Oh, even safer than pop music nowadays. Yeah, yeah. it's so safe. It's horrible. I, I hate mean, it. Why do you think that is? Do you think that just a lot of the ideas have been done? Do you think that no. it's why? Why are rock stars not as you know adventurous? You know, what? as they where's all the Jeff Lynns and the. I, I don't the... think um, I don't think rock is aging well. No, I, it's it's staying. Uh, well, it's becoming regressive. I find it's like let's yeah, take it back to the for source. For some reason, people think that the nostalgia is is cool. 
So people think that, for example, uh, if you want to sing about a conversation that you had with somebody on the phone, in in rock universe, it's cooler to to imagine a telephone, corded telephone, or a letter even. Or yeah, something. or writing yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. right. It's not cool in not rock for whatever reason to talk about. <laughs> text message or Instagram or these things that we use every day. This is a part of our life, but in rock, we don't talk about these things. That's interesting. And, I never thought about that. But that's before. what it is. Like you, you would never hear, a, I don't want to drop names, but like you would never hear like a rival sons or a Greta Van Fleet or some of these bands talk about an iPhone ever. Whereas the struts, you probably would. The struts, they're interesting, maybe, aren't they? and I they love the sit, struts. They kind of sit in the middle, don't they? Of they like do. retro and contemporary. They do a little bit. And I love them, by the way, we toured with them in the States and we're close friends. Um, but I still, even there, even there, I feel like I'm not 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 talking anything bad in the struts. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. the struts, but I've never heard them do like what pop would do, which is like really leaning into that um, this this social media generation, this like this type of person. And we've done it. We did it on our album in ways that I'm really proud of, where we sort of eased into it. I think by the next record, we're gonna go full. Blown. Oh yeah, yeah. Do I you don't think want... there's a resilience there on the part of rock? It's almost like it's a passing thing. You know, we don't want to let our mu- we want our music to be timeless, so we won't reference anything that's yeah, kind of well, of the moment. That is, everybody tries to make timeless classics, and we we sprinted away from that idea. We're like, I don't want to make something Let's timeless. Just be on the I cusp of the here and the now. I want to make something for this generation, and uh, this generation doesn't have a lot of. I I want I, I I guess I should say guitar centric music yeah. that is designed for this generation well kids we aren't keep, listening to it are yeah they? we keep w- wondering why aren't kids into rock anymore why is why is it not popular because you're making it for old people yeah rock is being made for old people stop making it for old people and and the kids will come like the kids they don't dislike that sound harry styles came out with like a full-on mm-hmm. rock thing but he's like a, he's like a, a youth icon and so it's working there Youngblood's doing it it's working for him they're just like incorporating the new stuff with it. And, and the older rockers are like, this isn't rock. This is pop. No, it's super rock. Billie Eilish, biggest rock star of, the genera- of our generation right now. Post Malone as well. Post Malone. Ozzy Osbourne rock on this track. A lot of kids going, who's this guy, Ozzy? You know, they're yeah. getting introduced to Ozzy through his music. That new track is about to ruin our number one in the States. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, I shouldn't have brought it up. Damn it. <laughs> I love Ozzy, but he's like, it's coming up too quick. We could have our you number one, but Ozzy's going Ozzy's to take us. <laughs> I don't know yet. We'll see. We're sitting It's in. an interesting time. I feel like to be in a rock band right now, you are at the front line of the biggest kind of um, T-junction in music history. And it's going, yeah. it's going one of two ways, right? It's going one of like 10 ways it could go anywhere i don't know it could anything could happen nobody knows you can't predict the trends and so i think as a as a as an artist myself and giving advice to other artists stop trying just do what feels right for you just be sincere and literally be yourself it sounds disney but it's true like be yourself and and stop stop taking cues and notes from what's happening in music take cues and notes from what's happening in the world and And your life turn it into music Turn it into your own music. That's that's how I feel about it. So I was listening to Josh Homme on Joe Rogan last night, in fact, and he was saying... Oh, was he on Rogan? He's just been on it this oh, week. Oh, cool. I it's can't great. Wait. It's I like two and a half hours. They only get into music about halfway through, um, which I kind of skip to that because I often find with people like that, as much as it's interesting to hear Josh Homme talk about Native American Indian culture, right. I want like, to hear him talk hear about, about Queens. Yeah. And he was saying, like, of course, when I started Queens, I wanted to write my favorite music. I wanted to create a band that didn't exist, that wasn't catering to my tastes, 
and I wanted to create sounds that were falling through the gaps. And so when we were in Caius and we used to tour, we used to listen to our own music because we loved it. And then other bands would be right. like, what? We don't listen. And it's like, well, why would you not create music that you'd want to listen to? Right, exactly. And right. that's it, right? Is yep. You should be your favorite band. Yes. And that I uh, might sound crazy. To no, some it's people, true. But- it's true. I, I think I listen to my music more than anything else. But I listen to I listen to our demos. That's what I like to listen to. I won't listen to our record, but I'll listen to like the demo version of Ghost and like jam out or Promise Me or like any of the songs on our record. That's that's what I really, really love. Is the music that became the temporary EP, was that pretty much just the stuff that you guys recorded on your own in no. the in the garage? You mean uh, on on the album or on the EP? The EP. The first EP yeah, was, yeah, yeah, that was all garage recordings. Yeah. Those were demos, essentially. And that was just done on your own fucking budget in your own yeah. time. Yep. And the label were like, this is good enough to release. Yeah. So what happened was we signed we signed with an indie label however many years ago that wasn't quite right. And they put us in studios and had us working with people that weren't right for us. And we, we basically made an EP that went directly into the garbage. Like we didn't, we never released it. Right. And so then uh, Republic Records at the time... Bought, and we're actually in, I think Republic is in this building. Okay. Um, Republic bought us out of that deal. And while we were waiting for the nego- negotiations, like lawyers are back and forth and we know how long that takes. It takes like months. And you guys are itching to just get Yeah, creative. we're just like, nothing's happened. We're just going to sit here and wait for lawyers to be emailing each other and just twiddle our thumbs. So we just bought a bunch of gear that we couldn't afford at the time and made an EP in the garage. And by the time we actually inked the deal and it was done, they were like, okay, so let's talk about getting you in with producers and making a record. I'm like, here you go. Bang. We already did it's it. done. Yep. And, and then they tried. They sent it off to for somebody else to mix it, and that person mixed it. and We didn't like it, and we're like, we're doing our own mix. And then we did our own mix, and that ended up ended up being the EP. And was Animal the song that was Animal the one was that kind of got things going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never, it didn't chart very high, but it like it definitely got our feet wet, and it got got us in people's faces for sure. And is that label was that label John Varvotis's label as well, or did he come into the picture yes, later on? So he was with Republic at the time, right? And so how does he become aware of you guys? Get interested in you? I think through it must have been through our management through other people. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't. I don't know. I think it was that. I think somebody knew him and passed along our info, and he fell in love with the band. And then he put us in uh, his fashion show. He put our song "Animal" in his fashion show. The older version of "Animal" before we recorded it for Republic, we had an old version, and he put it in like a New York fashion, like a big fashion show look. And um, we heard about that happening. We looked it up. We looked up John Barbados, and we saw that he had a record label. And we're like, I see what's happening here. This guy's poaching us by like giving us this amazing New York Fashion Week look. And then we went to New York, showcased for him in Republic, and they signed us. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I was only aware of him for the first time about five years ago. I saw him host a Q&A with Paul Weller in London and you know, read up on him, read yeah. up on his background. He's a cool guy. And just as like a CBGB old school punk head, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, he's a really, really cool guy. And he just produced that new punk like documentary series with Iggy Pop. Did you see that? I've heard about this. No, I haven't Incredible. seen it yet. Yeah, I'm it's sure so it's good. Great. It's like six parts and it's just, yeah, a history of British and American punk. Like it's kind of every corner right. of the punk spectrum. Were you like a punk kid growing up? Was that a music that inspired you at all? I, I found that later in life. What was the kind of rock and guitar oriented music then that first inspired you after the scores when um, you started picking up a guitar? Blink-182. Right. Right time, right place. That was, that was the right time, right place. Yeah, Blink-182 Blink and Green Day and like those bands. And even like bands like Good Charlotte, which mm-hmm. was... People... <laughs> everybody hates on Good Charlotte now. Like it's... It, the, everybody well, it's wants to bring... it's almost come full circle again now. Well, the My yeah. Chemical Romance stuff came for, full circle. And yeah. when that was popular, I, I it wasn't into it. For no, whatever reason, I was, I was just too just old. Like, I missed the boat. 
Yeah, I was right. I was at that prime age for My Chemical Romance, and I rejected it at the time. I think at that time in my life, I was even starting to reject like the Blink One Eighty Two's, and I was getting into older stuff. I was like, Doobie Brothers is what I want to listen right to, right on, and, like yeah, 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 stuff like that. And then later in life, once our band got started and we started to to happen in a big way, and then I was getting into '90s music too, and I realized that. My Chemical Romance was the 90s grunge of the 2000s. I was like, that's what this is. Exactly that. How come I resisted this? Like, this is so good. Melodically, it was amazing. And lyrically, it was so important to those people and to that generation, to my generation. And now I regret kind of like not getting into it. So now I now I listen to so much um, My Chemical Romance and the used and like all of these bands that I should have been just obsessed with at that time. And that's like my favorite stuff now. That was arguably the last youth movement with guitars, emo. Yeah. That was the last time that there was like a collection of bands, Panic at the Disco, The Use, My Chemical Romance, Fall Out Boy, collection of bands that changed the face yes, of music totally. and divided generations. Right. Like people of a certain age would be like, fuck this shit. This isn't right, rock. Right, of course. They'd of get course. so angry about it. Yep. And something has to be massive to piss people off like that, right? I, and, and you know what? It's weird. I, I don't like to talk about this, like rock is coming back, but it is really happening again. Like young blood, and uh, I, I guess us. I guess we're in that somewhere. I hope. Um, yeah, that is that. That's happening again for sure. I don't. It doesn't even have to be guitars though. That's well, the thing. The that's attitude, the part of it. Right? Yeah, that's the part of it. I don't care about. It's attitude. Billie Eilish. We we I talked about earlier. So much rock and roll attitude. Grandson is another artist we love. Full rock and roll. It doesn't have to be guitars in every song. It could be in some. It could be not at all. But that's rock and roll for me. You just did a really interesting tour in the States with my good friends in Dinosaur Pileup. Love them, yeah. And Shinedown, and I've known Brent and Zach for many, many years as well. How was that? Big, big rooms? Huge. It wasn't yeah. rooms, it was amphitheaters. Right. All outdoor amphitheaters, yeah. Oh, fucking it was, it was sick. It's it like an interesting bill because, you know, you and Shinedown, I can see together. Yeah. Dinosaur Pileup, kind of like the, the odd one in the mix. Did they go over well? They went over the really well, yeah. And I feel like- They're such a fucking kick-ass Dinosaur, Dinosaur and us are- I think we sort of bridged the gap. Well, no, because we're quite different as well. They were all very different An interesting bands. bill. Yeah, it was an interesting bill. I think bill. there I should be more bills like that, where it's you know, not just a complete package of everyone's the same thing, yeah. cookie-cutter sound, but you know, you've kind of got different pockets of the rock thing going well, on. What I thought was really cool is that we're a very opinionated group. On stage? On stage, on stage. and in the and in the music. I'm yeah. yet to see you live. but uh, you got to see us live. I look Are you seeing to us it. tonight? I am. Oh, yeah. sick. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're very opinionated, and we're probably heavier than you think. Right. That's what a that's lot of people. with a lot of bands. A lot of people on stage, hear the yeah. records, and they're like, "Oh, so I, this is like this, you know, mid tempo. We're gonna. It's loud. It's in, it's extreme. What we do at, sometimes, um, if we're not having a good night, we'll just fucking play. But, um, but we're very opinionated, and some of our opinions did not go over well with Shinedown's audience. And Shinedown themselves, like the band members, knew that. They knew that going into it, and they were like, "We don't care." We think you're an important group. We think your opinions are important, and we don't care if we're alienating or, or upsetting our fan base. We want you on this tour. We want you to say the things that you're saying. Like that, I found to be the coolest thing. Like that was the coolest part. It wasn't Shine Down going, "Oh, Bad Flowers is up and coming rock band that's like sort of taking over the the active rock scene," and they're the young. You know, it wasn't the obvious choice for that reason. It was the obvious choice for them because they're like, "This is important, and this is edgy, and we want to be involved with this. Like we want to be a part of this too." 
Well, so. Brent has always taken a strong stance on issues that he feels passionately about. Totally. That's something that's always made him a very special and unique vocalist and frontman. Yep. Um, what are some of the issues that are important to you, especially when you're on stage and you're saying you're opinionated? We talk about uh, politics a little bit. There's a song called Die on Our Record, which is a very uh, bluntly anti-Trump song. And you'd be surprised how many people in America love that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Even at a Shinedown show, yeah? A sp- Especially, Especially at a Shinedown, Shinedown show. Yeah. That's what I mean by yeah. like it, it. It really wasn't the fan base for that kind of thing. But we, t- I, it, we didn't just play the song and then you know sort of. Yeah. We, I talk about it. Yeah, I yeah, talk yeah. about it in the beginning, and I know that it's going to piss people off, and it did. Did you get booze? Did you get shit thrown? We had, we had, yes. I mean, not like the entire crowd, yeah, 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 but yeah, we yeah. had certain people in the audience that were like freaking. felt resilient. They were trying, like security was holding them back, and they were trying to like show that macho manly thing where they were like, you know, um. We talk about that. We talk about animal rights too. Like I'm a very vocal vegan and that's not, that's like, at least with the Trump stuff, you know, half of the audience is going to be like, yeah, I'm on your side. And the other half with the animal stuff. Again, in America, a shinedown show. 5% of the audience is like totally on board. And the the 95% is like, fuck you. Don't tell me what to eat. I was just in Florida, right? My friend James, and he's got a deer tattoo on his arm. And some woman comes up to him and she goes, I love your tattoo. And he's like, oh, thanks. She goes, do you hunt? And he's like, no. Like, what do you think? Like, every fucking animal I kill, I get tattooed on my body. Yeah. <laughs> God, hunting is the weirdest thing. Isn't it? Just for sport. Somebody asked me that. I, I wrote a post on Instagram. It's like talking about uh, how I believe that the, the consumption of meat, of animal products, and like the enslavement and torture of animals should be made illegal. Like, that's, I think that's what's happening in our future. I don't know, in, in our lifetime, but that's going to happen. Have you um, seen Game Changers, that new film for Netflix? No. It, it doesn't really look at the animal rights so much as the health and the environmental totally. implications. Yeah. So it makes you look at it in a different way because it's not don't eat meat because it's cruel. Right. It's don't eat meat because actually it's, it's really kind bad, of bad for, you. for you. Yeah, it's horrible. And bad for the planet. Totally. And those, those, those are all, you check it out. Those are all valid reasons and they are important. And I think that's going to move the needle more than anything else. But for me, it's completely emotional. It's like, we don't need to be killing these animals. Why are we doing this? Anyway, um, I said that, and somebody commented. There's a lot of comments, a lot of people supporting me, a lot of people against me, and or just people curious, which was great. But somebody commented like, "But isn't it, isn't it okay if you hunt <laughs> if you hunt Organic, your own right? animal, <laughs> and you know you go out and hunt the?" There was a, a whole thing about <coughs> hunting. Like, do you support this? I'm like, are you insane? No, I don't support hunting. If if I don't support the consumption or the torture of the animal, especially hunting for sport, the word sport, killing pleasure, things enjoyment. Yep. for pleasure is absurd to me. And that's and I get I get that that's ingrained in us as as human beings, but it doesn't need to be anymore. It can end. We can end that. It can be one generation or one generation away from ending that. That is just unnecessary <coughs> violence. And we talk we, we we make all these comparisons like kids who become sociopaths or murderers are like, well did they torture small animals when they were a kid? Of course, yeah, that's where it's but where it starts. But we're hunting. We're giving children rifles at young age and we're teaching them and it's supposed to be this like father son or whatever bonding thing. That's torturing young animals. You're setting your children up to be violent beings. Let's stop being violent people. We don't need to be violent at all. We are at the top of the food chain. We're going to stay there whether or not we are violent. Yeah, we're not going to be usurped, are we? Our brains are all we need. We can build fences, goddammit. Like, why are we fucking killing animals? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. You can say whatever you want. Oh, cool. Here's here's one exception, though. What about, say, if you're like an Inuit in Alaska in the middle of nowhere and you need, like, say, seal meat to keep the family warm and feed them. and truly for survival. Yeah, survival. Sure, but but, uh, as, as a collective 
species on this planet, it doesn't need to be for survival for anybody. Not even for people in Alaska. It doesn't need to be. It is for some if you Look, if you have no knowledge, if you're just born in a fucking igloo and you have no other knowledge, I don't, like, condemn that person. That's, that's, the, that's all you know. That's fine. But if you have the information, if you have access to the information, you and have access to food and, and access yeah. to another way to, to feed yourself, you need to, you need to be exercising that. And there's no reason why everybody on planet Earth can't get that access. Um, but then again, you know, like some people would, would hear that from me and think that that sounds almost like a Christian missionary thing. Like vegans should be going to Alaska and like handing out pamphlets and forcing <laughs> them into them. Yeah, yeah, but converting it, them over to our way of life. But you know what? If it, if it, if it stops the unnecessary suffering and killing of truly innocent beings then it's fine. <laughs> going, going as a missionary and, and, and spreading the word of Christianity just because you, I don't know, that's, that's a different thing. Like, there's victims involved when it comes to what you eat. There's no victims involved when it comes to uh, you know, what you decide, what religion you decide to have. If there's victims involved, like people say, don't tell me what to eat, it's my life. It's not about telling you what to eat. It's about stopping the killing of innocent beings. Like, that is what it's about. And so I'm not telling you what to eat. You can eat fucking paper i don't care what you eat um be unhealthy be, be whatever just don't kill unnecessarily that's have, I have you seen the movie noah 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 no a, a darren aronofsky film and it's about obviously noah's ark and there's so many levels to that film that make it one of the best films ever made for me um and one of them is it's a very environmental activist orientated film because the 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 word and it's not taking it down the christian route but the word of the creator as they call him in that film not god but the creator and his basic message is that you know we don't need to inflict harm or eat animals to to thrive or survive right everything we need is in the earth in plants and and that's the really the message of that film and that goes back obviously you know to the right the, the birth of time it's a beautiful movie i love if that you feel I strongly love, about this yeah stuff, I, would love, I would love to see that that sounds Noah, great it's fucking kick Noah. ass I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
So how did you meet the rest of the boys in the band? Segway. Um, <laughs> I've known Joey for like 11 years, 12 years. We've like lived together for like 12 years. How was like that? that? How was the apartment? Oh, we can't stand each other now. The apartment was a disgusting place. Hollywood? Hollywood. Hollywood. How did you know? Perfect. Yeah, it was in Hollywood. We had a stripper pole. A stri- <laughs> in the flat. I actually built, uh, so ridiculous. We were, we were 19, 18 or 19. I built... 18 actually, yeah. I built a, a stage out of wood and a stripper pole that went up to the ceiling and I even had lighting. Amazing. Like lighting around in it. In the hope it, that you'd get strippers back or? And I don't know what we were hoping, but <laughs> we had the lighting, the coffee table had the lighting rig so you could do light shows. And it was, it really, there was probably only ever like two women who used the stripper pole throughout the entire course. Hey, two better than none, right? It was just us like drunk guys using it. Amazing. And we had like bunk beds and the bunk beds were like where you, sat and watched this it was really crazy it was insane and you were in there for how long uh about a year and was that basically the uh the birthplace of the band yeah because in, so it was a, zero. it was a two bedroom uh, yeah it was a two bedroom apartment um the two bedrooms we converted into our recording studio and we all slept on the bunk beds out by the stripper pole so okay. we had the recording studio <laughs> in the bedrooms and then everybody slept out on the couches in the bunk beds i bet and, your neighbors hated you well yes and no because they were a lot of the people in that building were I get Hollywood. Yeah, so they're, they're all actors, musicians, musicians, actors, like or just crazy people. So yeah, it wasn't drug so dealers. Bad. Like, we even had a drum set in there, and we we never we was never like nobody ever complained. Cops never came, nothing like that. Cops came for other reasons, but not because of the drums. Um, yeah, so that was the birthplace of that. But it was just Joey and I at the time, and then we couldn't afford it, so we I moved back to my parents' house, and Joey came and lived with me at my parents' house because we just had such a good dynamic musically. And then we met uh, Anthony and Alex. They jumped on board and. I don't know how it happened. For the the first for the first while of the band, first couple of years, it was like we didn't we had no direction. We didn't know what we were doing. We sounded like I was trying to be the Beatles kind of like or at we least you're aiming high. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's what every band does. Every young band's like, we're gonna do this. Like it's gonna be like the Beatles, we're, and it doesn't doesn't work. Like it never works. It, There'll never be another Beatles. No, and, <laughs> and if you're gonna be another Beatles, you can't sound like the Beatles. Yeah, you have to sound like your own thing, and then then you can draw the comparisons, but. We sounded like it was like doo-wop. It was bizarre. Okay, we, I love. It was like man. between doo-wop and like seventies hair metal or eighties hair metal. It was really, really <laughs> weird. Um, and well, then, at least it's original. Kind, no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we stole shit from the sixties and the eighties. That's what it's all about, though, right? It's taking influences, combining them into something new. If it's good, yeah. sure, but it wasn't good. Um, so, how long is Bad Flower the first band you've ever been in? Like, is this the first proper? Group? Yeah, it wasn't called Bad Flower before, but yes, this was this. No, no. When I was in no, yeah. When I was in middle school, we we had another band. We had a band called Crevice. Right, Crevice. Yeah. What did that sound like? Honestly, that was more on par with what we're doing now. Right. <laughs> that was more like just straight up rock band. Middle school. Yeah. I love like it. We played like the talent shows in middle school. Uh, and your debut album came out this year. Yeah. Okay, I'm sick. Which is crazy to think about because it feels like it's been forever. We've been in touring since the album came out. What year did you form as like a proper band? What year did you start? It was like six or six years ago. Wow. So what year are we now? So it's been a fairly yeah, long road to this point. It's not what you call like an overnight. No, not at all. Story. But the first the first few years was like... Just garage band. Yeah, yeah, it was like a plateau. We were only playing in LA and very few people showed up. Then it's it was like a slow build and then it was a really quick build. When When Ghost came out, it was very fast. That's the one, right? Ghost was the one. Yeah. And then, but then it was like hit after hit. Ghost and then Heroin came out, and that one's number one in the States. 
and our third single now, The Jester, is number three in the States right now. Like I said, it might hit number one if Ozzy doesn't come and kill us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me about Ghost. Uh, Inspirations and yeah, there themes. Was a, and... There was a period of my life. It's kind of cool to say that it was a period of my life because I don't really experience these things nearly as much anymore. But the the first round of touring that we did before Ghost came out was very, very difficult on me mentally. Um, for a lot, for so many different reasons, like personal reasons and reasons that have everything to do with touring and that kind of life, lifestyle in a van. But um, drugs and drink in the mix, or more just the no, fatigue was, and the pressure that. and the expectation. And yeah, the... drink, drinking and drugs and drinking when they did happen made things worse, and so it was easy to not do that. I didn't like. I didn't need it. I was there was enough going on in my brain. Um, and it was really bad. I was really anxious on stage. I had panic attacks on stage. I thought for sure. Every single night I went out, I was going to have to run off and be done. Did um, you have that early on? Or is this something that came on when I, the I, shows started getting it bigger? It first and... started happening right out of high school, before I even played shows. It, it, started, it happened. And then I beat it. it. It only lasted like maybe six months then when I was like 18. And then it went away. And what would happen? Like, would your chest get all closed? Yeah, yeah. The, the, just the, the, yeah, panic attacks, the whole yeah. thing. And I, I was prescribed Xanax, and Xanax always helped me. Um, but yeah, the chest would close up, my throat would close up, I was shaking, my whole body would go numb, I didn't know what was happening. In the very beginning, it's it was so much in my throat that I went to a doctor and I was prescribed like prescription Pepsid and shit. Like they put a camera down my throat to see how bad my acid reflux was. It was a was. physical thing. Yeah, because it felt so physical and then they said, there's nothing wrong with you, sent me home. Um, and then eventually somebody said, it sounds like you're having panic attacks. And as soon as somebody said it, and then I went to Google and looked up what that was and then then it became very real and... I knew what it was. Um, but yeah, I went away then, and it at, at, out of nowhere, at like 25, it came back. And it came back with a fury. Like, it was bad. And I was right in the middle of a tour, and uh, yeah, I couldn't get through the shows. And that, just having panic attacks every single night on stage. Yeah, that would be the regularity of it, was every yes, night? Yes, every single night. And it, was, it happened in the middle of the tour, so I, and I hadn't taken Xanax in forever, so I had no drug. I had nothing to take. I started asking people on my team. I was asking fans, like, do you have... Does anybody have Xanax? I would DM people on Twitter um, to try to find it. And that was like a huge struggle. And it, it, so that happened for a while. And then just from experiencing that for so long, I was a pretty cheery guy. Like I was really happy for the most part. But experiencing that every single night just threw me into this depression. So once the tour was over, which I was so looking forward to the tour being over. Well, that's the other thing, right? Is this, this is a moment you're meant to be enjoying. It's your moment in the sun where things yeah. are beginning to take off for the band. And, and everything you can't was because... happening. Everything was like, we were starting to climb up and my mental health was just degrading at the same time. And so we finally got home and I was like, yes, I'm home. This is, everything's going to be better now. And I was not even myself. Like when I got home, I don't even know who I was. And I was very depressed and I was suicidal. And Were you living on your own with a partner, with family, I was, with friends? I, was, I, there's, I, I don't really have a home because I tour so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I either sleep on our tour manager's couch or I'm, I have a room in a bed at our production manager's uh, house in California City, like secluded out in the desert. So I have a house there, and I do a lot of my writing there, and I'm usually alone, so that's usually where I am. So were you coming off tour and being alone, or were you with people? Coming off tour and mostly being alone with my dog, right? which was great. Uh, God but, bless him. Yeah. But I was so depressed and scared. I would wake up scared every day, just for, nothing, for no reason. And, and I wasn't on tour, and I just knew... Everything was doing good. And it was like, in my brain, I was like, I'm either going to quit music forever. Like, I can't do this anymore. I can't tour. I can't, because this is this is killing me. It's going to kill me. Um, 
or I'm going to write an album about it and it's going to be great and I'm going to just go even harder. And I chose that. So the, one of the first songs that was written was Ghost and it's about trying to commit suicide. And Is that how bleak things got then? Yeah. Is that how yes. far yeah, yeah. It was to that the bad. edge you went? It was that bad. Which is stupid. It, it's not stupid. Sorry, it's not stupid at all. It, when I think about the state of the world, which is something I think about often, I think about refugees in Syria, and I think about people who have these really crazy, crazy, very difficult lives who can barely feed their families who are like dying of thirst. Um, it makes me feel like I have this really privileged life that I'm even allowed to be suicidal and not hungry. Do you have the time to be. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It, it, yeah. so even- Well, it's perspective that, is everything. And that if concept- you have that ability to take yourself out of your own head and look at the world in that way, that's what helps you get better. But sometimes depression doesn't allow that. It doesn't it does, allow exactly. you to get out of your own mind you can to be, see the world for what it really you is. You can be the, conscious of how much worse other people have it and realize how miserable you are. And that makes you worse. Yes. Because you're like- I'm a piece of shit. I'm a piece like, of yeah. shit. Like, I don't deserve, I don't- why, like, what am I even here for? If these people are going through, like, they're going through some of the hardest struggles ever just to live. And I'm like, I'm about to kill myself as a rock star. Like, I'm a rock star who gets paid to play shows. And, you know, that's like, that fucked me up even worse. It was knowing that. And I wrote about that. I wrote about how I felt privileged. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of one of the things I think people really connected with throughout our album is these sort of themes of that where it's like, I know... I'm not going to sit here and write from the perspective of somebody who's been through these really hard times. Like, sure, I have. Mentally, within my own head, I've been through really, really hard times. But I'm also aware that I'm privileged as fuck. I'm a, I'm a white kid in America who, who is kind of attractive and who can sing a little bit. Like, I have everything. Like, I have such privilege. Um, and it's absurd that I go through these things. It's absurd that I feel these things. I shouldn't. And, and honestly, nobody should, but especially me. So uh, anyway, I wrote... I wrote I wrote that song and I wrote a, a series of songs that connected with that um, emotion and all of that stuff and then putting it out in the world and seeing how so many people felt the same way made me better. It made me so much, so much better. Yeah, because now I, now I go out on stage. Therapy, right? Now I go, down, go out on stage and people are in the audience who probably have been through and the exact same things that I have and uh, I don't have to pretend I'm some like confident rock star if i don't feel like being that guy in that moment if i feel like having a panic attack i can be like i'm having a panic attack i'm fucking off for a little bit and the audience would cheer they'd be stoked they wouldn't care they'd be like he's he's like us like because they do that too people in the audience are like i'm having i'm going to the bathroom right now i gotta go to the bathroom and sit in the stall and just like chill the fuck out if i need to do that from the stage i can granted i never have since the song came out but i know that i can and i know that people will accept me and respect me no matter what i do and uh that has been the most empowering part of, of this whole Well, that safety thing. net is like the cure, right? Yeah. Because you know that you can fall back on it and you'll be safe. Any, any version of a safety and net accepted. is the cure. Mm. Know, knowing that nobody, nobody fucking cares. Nobody's judging you that harshly. Like, I, could, I could be on live TV and do that. Who cares? Who fucking cares? Like, I love it. Yeah. Why, why, that's freedom, right? That Once is you freedom. you break through that bullshit boundary, yeah. that's happiness. Yes. Yeah, like truly yeah. be yourself. Yeah, truly like not don't be the version of yourself that you think is you that you mm -hmm. want to be, but be your actual self, even if that person is kind of disappointing. Just be it. Well, we're all disappointing. We're yeah, all human. Exactly we're all imperfect. Right. We're all perfectly imperfect. I think as well, what you touched on there is for me the essence of all like great art, whether it's music <laughs> or you know theater, acting, poetry, whatever it is. It should come from a place of honesty, and if it does 
that's quality to me because then it's pe- art. people connect to that because it's real and it's sincere right and it's not dressed up or fake or right what a beautiful time to be alive then it eh? is what a so beautiful time for you what a beautiful time for that version of art to be working yeah well, it's, it's the most yeah. important because time we, in history we, for that, right? We, we need honesty because politicians aren't giving it to us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we're not electing the politicians that have the honesty. <laughs> there are some. They're trying. But they're, they're trying. They're, uh, so it's, that's an uphill battle. That's hard. Uh, can, what, can you imagine wanting to be a politician? Well, like wanting to be president or wanting to be a prime minister, like any of that, like... You have to be so driven by ego. So so driven driven by ego. And that's going to corrupt you eventually, no matter how pure you are at the start of that campaign journey. I want to lead To be the most powerful man in the world. Like, that's crazy. I like the the level of narcissism that goes into wanting to be a musician. People don't realize it. Like, struggling- Well, Gene Simmons always said, right, if you haven't got an ego, don't get up on that stage. There has to be a little bit. You have to 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 know that you're the shit. Yeah, it's it's such a crazy thing. And I think being a politician is worse. Oh, a million times worse. Yeah. yeah. It's bad enough that it's like, everybody look at me. I sing so well. I write this everybody look. But then everybody listen to what I have to say and change your lives based on my opinions and ideas. Like, that's that's wild. At all costs. Yeah. There's no human and cost you're forced is too to. great. You have to. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, what's your relationship with the UK? Is this your first headline tour over here? Or have you been Se- over here? Second, head- second uh, headline? No, actually, first headline tour here. We, we it played- is. One headline show in London about six months ago or something. Where was that at? That was at the Dome. Good place. It I was, was there on Saturday for a friend's wedding. Oh, really? Yeah, so you know Back to the Future? Yeah. So we, well, not we, Was she, there a Back to the Future themed wedding? It was under the sea ball and everybody kind of came That's in the 80s amazing. Back to the Future attire. And they had the DeLorean car as you come in. There's only two in the country. They had the actual DeLorean car. Wow. You come in, get a picture of that, you go in there. It was yeah, it looked very different to the night you would have played, but I know the I'm space sure. well, and yeah. it's a cool little venue. Yeah, it was a great venue. It was a, it was a great show. Um, I think tonight's going to be even more fun because it's going to sell out, and it's a bigger venue. I mean, what a exciting period to be kind of just coming over to you know the other side of the world, mm-hmm. headlining shows. I know you were saying a moment ago that you're at the end of an extensive run, yeah. so you know you're obviously weary, but um, you know this is why you do it, right? Is to get out and and meet people all over the world that are connected to your yeah. music play those shows and spread the word i spread suppose. the word yeah this is this is this church i I, lo- I do i love playing shows now like i told you i there was a period where i hated it i really love it now and uh and it's fun to see how people react to seeing the stuff that they've been hearing on the albums for so long um but it is at the same time this is the business part you can feel yes. that. Like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, the yeah. job part. Well, you're out there and they're putting you to work, aren't they? Like yeah. right now, this is hopefully fun, but it is fun. They've got, yeah, but they've got you to work right now. Well, like... here's the, and even with today, it's like I was supposed to do all of this pressy stuff during uh, a little bit later, like once we were at the venue. And yeah, I originally force... it was going to be like 5 p.m. or something. We were going to talk. I yeah. had to force everything earlier because I do. I'm. This is how psycho I am. I do all <laughs> the lighting programming for our shows and so i get into a venue as early as i possibly can i look at the lights i see what they have i jump on my computer i tap into their system and i pre-program for every single song the light show that's killer so we i don't know any other guy. band that does that i mean and people people at venues are like you're the singer like, yeah <laughs> i care do they the... talk to you like shit sometimes when they in the just beginning think they're the, like what are you touching like? our lights for and i'm like don't worry <laughs> it's like, that's amazing hold my beer you see that you perception know? change like oh shit that's yeah because and i do a good job Typically, but it takes well, it's those stripper table years, man. That was the training. Yeah, I just I love every aspect of shows. Yes, well, a, that, from very, the music video as well yes. to the yeah. 
Yeah, I love every aspect package. of this, of the creative part. And so that's one of my favorite things to do, but it does take me hours and hours and hours. So I usually get in, um, we have a team of people who are sound checking our instruments and I'm just like locked Waking in up. on my computer, just doing the lights literally right up until doors. Sometimes after doors are open, I'm backstage still without even looking. I'm still programming. That's fascinating. Um, do you think you'll do that the bigger you get? Like say if you get to arena level, will you still yes. be that guy? The if only, not even more so. No, I will. I, I will be, just because I enjoy it so much. And, and the only difference is when we're arena level, we'll be bringing in our own lights, which are pre-programmed. So the tour- Oh, nice. So you'll do this, that at home before you set off. <laughs> this leg of the tour in the US, we brought our entire lighting package. Uh, uh, so the, we showed up into the venues and we went pitch black and it was only our lights in the entire place. And that was all pre-programmed. So I just was there to set it up and calibrate, like make sure everything was good. Over here, it's like, we don't have anything. We, yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. have the money to come over here with the whole lighting package. So I just tap into whatever the venue has and it's very time consuming. And so I had to shift every all the press over. So I had to wake up super early today and start the press early. It's a very involved job that people don't realize. They think it's, you know, getting drunk every night and partying. And yeah, all you do is hang out all day, stroll on the stage, play a few tunes, like, party backstage afterwards. My brain is the next running city. all day. I get it. Throughout the entire, and then 12 o'clock midnight, we're sort of done and packed up. I just jump in my bunk and I crash hard. I don't drink. Because well, then I the adrenaline's go gone, right? So the exhaustion kicks in. Yeah, I'm not meeting women. Like, none of that stuff happens. And also, when you're a newer band, they don't give you days off. You don't get any, you're not allowed. Well, it doesn't make financial sense because exactly you've got the crew right. just sat around, the haven't you, right? The bus is very yeah. expensive. One day in the bus and you don't have a show, can't, can't afford it. So there's, like, basically no days off. It's just constant. It's very, very hard work. So we're, we're excited for it to be over for a little bit, at least three weeks, three weeks home. And what's your plans for 2020? We're going to be next? touring throughout the first probably three months. Touring touring, and writing a little bit off and on, I think, throughout the first three months. And then after that, I'm putting a stop to the touring. And, and I think by mid, excuse me, by mid next year, it's like making, making the next record. That's what I want to do. You want to jump on it straight away, right? Yeah. I guess because you've taken X amount of years to get to the debut. You don't yeah, want another it, six till the second. <laughs> I think this album cycle should last. It's going to last about... 13 months maybe from now or in no total. from from when it came out yeah and ghost came out like six months or more before the album came out like that was working for a long time so i feel like we've been working this record even longer than a year it's been a long time and the second album you were saying a moment ago you're going to go in more so on the the contemporary reference points what about musically and sonically and sonically and musically you tell whatever, us whatever happens happens yeah i don't care i'm not i'm not i'm not you going don't go in, in with, with a preordained no we're gonna have every like instrument just... to choose from we have a computer we have everything we got little keyboards whatever we want to do and whatever makes sense is that's that's what's gonna happen it, dude it could end up not having guitars on it i don't care if it suits the song i don't care could be all instrumental. Maybe I'll go full movie score and it'll just be like straight up uh, uh, horns and strings and all that. Like I would do that. I love it. If it's great. If it's not great, then I won't. I'm not going to do it just to do it. I'm going to do it if it's like this suits the song, this suits the album, whatever. I've had a, a real nice chat with you today, my friend. Likewise. Friends. Pleasure yeah, meeting you. this was very, very fun. And uh, congratulations on everything. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing what's next, man. And I look forward to seeing you tonight as well. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.